Hello. I'm going to talk today about the healing power of silence, an unusual topic. My spiritual teacher, Paramahansa Yogananda, had a vision when he was a boy. He lived in India, and so he was seeing an Indian village. He was standing near the marketplace, in the marketplace, and there were stall vendors shouting at each other, there were donkeys kicking up dust, there was noise, pandemonium. Everybody seemed, seeming preoccupied with some worry, some barter he was involved in, some acquisition he'd just, uh, just attained, <clears throat> just acquired. And uh, then somebody stopped in front of him and looked up at a point behind where Yogananda was standing, and this look of inexpressible yearning came over his face. He'd look up, and then he said, Oh, but it's much too high for me. And he looked down, and he went back to all the noise and preoccupation. And then, after a while, somebody else stopped and looked up at that same point behind him. And this happened several times. And each time, this look of great yearning came over this person. And then he'd say, Oh, but it's too much for me, too high for me. And he'd go back to his worldly preoccupations. Yogananda then began to think, well, what could that place be? And he turned around and he saw behind him a high mountain. And up toward the top of that mountain there was the most beautiful garden that he'd ever seen. So much a contrast to the scene that was surrounding him at that time. And the first thought that came to him, too, was, how I'd love to live there. And then the same thought came over him, oh, but it's much too high for me. And then something awakened within him, and he said, well, it may be too high, but at least I can put one foot in front of the other. And so taking one step at a time, finally he reached there. Well, so are we in our lives that very often we dream of something but we think it's too far away, too difficult, too high. And if we could take only one step at a time, which is all we can do anyway, if we could make up our minds to do that, we would achieve things that seem quite impossible. But haven't you very often, in the what is often called the rat race of life, haven't you wished that you could somehow live a life that was more peaceful, that was less frenetic, less almost hysterical, driving you rather than you driving yourself, as if circumstances had taken over and you could get no peace of mind because of all the demands that people were making of you, all the things you had to do, all the goals you had set for yourself. And finally, setting goals becomes a habit so that even if you achieve a, a goal, you keep looking for another one and another. And so people become not more peaceful as they sort of chalk off one victory after another, assuming it's a victory, but rather more and more engaged, and therefore more and more full of trouble, worry, obsession, you might almost say. Isn't there something within you that says, oh, if only I could do something that was giving me what I really wanted? I used to meet India, in India people who would say, well, when all this is over and I've raised my children, I've finished my business, I retire, then I'll go to the Himalayas and I'll just be alone with God. But I was sure that they would never do that because if you don't bring your Himalayas to where you are, 
you will never go to the Himalayas. You know that story of Mohammed, no doubt apocryphal, where, where he's said to have said, if the mountain won't come to Mohammed, Mohammed will go to the mountain. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, too, that we've got to go to the mountain now, live in that mountain, live in that peace, and then when those moments come that we can enjoy them really, then we, our spirits can soar. People will go to the beach carrying their blockbuster radios with them. They'll go to the forest and sit by the side of a lake and have this new music surrounding them so they can't hear the whisper of the wind in the pine needles. They can't hear the soft lapping of the water on the beach. They can't hear the call of the birds and the singing of the crickets. They're so busy with themselves. It's not just this noise from the radios, it's the noise they're putting out that makes them want something compatible to have around them, because that's what they are. You know, if you could really learn silence, if you could reach that level of deep peace within, you would find that your, your health would improve, your outlook on life would improve, everything about you would improve. So much depends on learning to dive a little bit into the inner silence. Now, this may sound like a beautiful poetic statement, lovely to read in a book on mysticism, and you put the book down with a sigh and go off and cook your bacon and eggs for breakfast. But in fact, it's medically sound to say that in relaxation, your body can heal itself much more than if you're tense because that tension creates blocks in the energy. It's sort of like if you had a, a piano and you wanted to move it. If you have that piano without legs on sandpaper, it would take a very strong man to move that piano. But if you have it on wheels and the wheels are well oiled and the floor is very smooth, then depending on how well oiled the, the uh, wheels are and how smooth the floor is, even a child might be able to push that piano. So it, you've got the energy that you want to put out, but you've also got to think in terms of the resistance to that energy. And most of us go through life as it were pushing on two sides of a door. We're trying to open the door, but the other part of our brain and energy are trying to close that door. When you are tense in your body, you're exhausting your supply of energy rather than being able to use it sensibly to do whatever it is that you need to do. Now, last week we talked about the importance of energy in the body for keeping the body well. And now I want to just add to that thought and say that it's not only a question of sending the energy, it's a question of preparing the body to receive that energy. The more you can learn to live with relaxation, the more you can learn to not be tight all the time. I remember going into a shop a few years ago and uh, I bought a suit and the man was very uptight. It was just sort of like this all the time and talking through clenched teeth. And so I thought, well, the poor fellow, let me just get out of his hair as quickly as I can. And uh, we'd completed the sale and he said, well, I'll just go and get your receipt. And I said, never mind the receipt, just let, just, uh, it's okay. I've got to give you a receipt, like this. He just sort of uh, squeezed the words out between his teeth. Well, 
Poor fellow, but that's how a lot of people live, isn't it? Maybe he had more complexes than most. But when you live that way, that's when disease can come in because you can't let the energy flow. Blocking that energy creates toxins, even physically speaking. Tension breaks down the tissues and produces toxins. And in fact, that's why we breathe. That's why when we're more restless and tense, we have to breathe faster. When we're very relaxed, we don't have as much uh, toxins to exhale in the form of carbon dioxide, so our lungs and heart become calmer, and uh, everything about us becomes more relaxed. Well, toxins are the cause of much illness. And if you could keep your body relaxed, it would flush out the toxins in a natural way. So the more you can keep your body relaxed, the better. The better for you physically, not just, f just, just uh, for your body, but for the illnesses and well-being of the body. It will produce a sense of well-being and actually and literally well-being in a medical sense also. How do we achieve this state of relaxation? I saw an ad as I was driving on the freeway uh, years ago, and it was on Highway 80 going out from San Francisco through Sacramento up to the uh, Reno <clears throat> gambling area of Nevada. And so there are big posters there uh, trying to get people to come and gamble in uh, Reno. And I remember seeing this one, this one poster in which there was this fellow looking in, as if he were in the last stages of uh, human disintegration, sort of like this, and the sign said, let yourself go in, in uh, Reno. I thought, well, if that's letting myself go, if that's relaxation, then I don't want it. Most people think of relaxation as a state of virtual collapse, lying on a uh, lounge chair with your feet stretched out and uh, your head back and a cap or a hat over your head, nothing to do. That's not relaxation. Real, real relaxation should be a state of, of uh, great awareness. You're releasing energy so that you can be more aware. Compare the energy that is divided between the brain and the body uh, in this way. Try thinking deeply on an empty stomach. It won't be that difficult unless you're too hungry to think of anything but food. But then try thinking deeply after a big meal. You won't be able to. Because all that energy that you'd use in your brain is busy keeping your, uh, getting your food digested. Once you've digested your meal, then you can think again more clearly. And so you will see that the energy that is in the body is also one that you can use to become more aware, to think more deeply, to, to solve problems, whatever it might be. But of course, when we're talking of this level of silence and peace within, I'm not discussing problems, but I am discussing a level of peace that is aware and not unaware. To most people, peace means sort of sinking downward sinking down into the subconscious, sinking down into um, unawareness. I remember back, oh, many years ago, I was in college, and whereas I don't drink now, I was doing what everybody did in those days, and that included drinking. And I remember some big uh, tragedy that befell me. My girlfriend turned out to be married and uh, 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 wasn't coming back to college, and to me, I'd really just just given my heart to her, and I just, it just was such a blow to me. Now it looks 
not funny because these things are serious, but uh, it doesn't have the impact, certainly, that it had then. And being so affected, so impacted, you might say, I remember I drank six daiquiris in six minutes, just sort of one after the other, thinking I'll relax. Well, I relaxed all right. I woke up the next morning not only sad and unhappy, but also with a big hangover. And I realized that's not the way to go. You don't find uh, a release from your worries and your problems by decreasing your awareness, by getting drunk, or running away, or uh, in any way trying to sort of escape facing whatever it is you have to face in life. And I learned, especially after I took up the practice of yoga, that there's another way to achieve peace, and that's to rise. Not to fly under the bridge, but over the bridge. To rise into the inner silence, in meditation, in peaceful thoughts, in a kind of awareness that doesn't sort of go like this, oh, what am I going to do, like this, just realizing that your problems are just on the periphery, but if you can get to the center, you're at that point where the problems are solved. You're at that point deep within yourself from which answers come. And in that deep inner silence that I'm really talking about, that's the kind of peace that's meaningful. If you can have that level of peace, then we're talking of a level of relaxation that's a great deal deeper than merely not being physically tense. Well, there are different ways that you can achieve this deep, deep, sort of soul-bathing inner peace that in meditation, in deep stillness within, it's almost as if you feel peace like a waterfall just sort of bathing you, washing away all your cares and worries, all your distractions and preoccupations. You find that in that level of inner silence, which really is a silence of mind and not just buttoning up your lip, that that silence sort of enters your whole body. After a deep meditation, your whole body seems vibrant, alive, in a way that it never could without such depth of consciousness. That in uh, the life of a person who practices deep meditation, he finds that far from withdrawing from the world, far from alienating himself from his environment, he gets to a level of stillness from which he comes out with a great deal more enthusiasm. It isn't only an emotional enthusiasm, it's that actually the senses become more alive, just as they become dull if you exercise them too much. Take a child to the zoo and see what happens. First of all, he's looking around eagerly, all oh, lions, tigers, birds, uh, camels, ostriches. Oh, it's so thrilling. And then finally, he's gone on to overload. And he's sort of dripping and trying to look. And his eyelids droop and he looks. And then finally, he just goes to sleep. We can't stimulate ourselves and keep our senses as alive all the time as we would like. After a sleep, you come back refreshed and your senses are more alive. Well, after a deep inner silence, which is much more potent than any sleep would ever give you, colors become far more intense. Music becomes much more beautiful. Everything in this world is far more vibrant and alive because you're vibrant and alive. It all begins with you. And in that vibrancy, in that aliveness, 
you find that your whole body responds. Your whole body is as if singing. It doesn't make me marvel that saints in deep prayer have been seen in levitation because there's this sense of rising, this sense of life that almost just mentally and then finally, why not physically, lifts you above this world. And then in your action with the world, you find that you also have that kind of refreshing approach to everything that you do so that you have new ideas for everything. You don't go along the old ways of doing things, the old ways of thinking, taking off uh, uh, from what other people have done and other people have thought. Every moment is something fresh. People will say, but you haven't done that before. Well, why should you have done it before? Uh, why shouldn't you do something new? Why should you be bound by the past? The philosopher Emerson said that uh, foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. We should live right now and live vibrantly aware. Now, what, what does this do for your physical well-being, your health? Well, everything. Because when you're really relaxed, the energy can flow. When you really are vibrant because of this deep stillness and silence, everything seems more alive. And in that aliveness, you just automatically send out of your body the illnesses that are trying to take hold. Usually what happens, mind you, we have so many things that come to us that I don't want to make absolute rules. A person's state of health is not necessarily a reflection of his spirit. And his bad health is not necessarily a reflection of uh, a bad spirit, uh, negative attitudes and so on. There's so many things that we have to pay off and whatever. But the truth is that the more you have of this, the more you will be able to have the best health that's available to you at this time. And by and large, it will be radiant. Even in illness, you will find yourself radiant. I've read about some saints who are in a high fever and still feeling great joy and being able to counsel other people and so on. I, I knew one saint in India who on his deathbed was in a coma and the doctors couldn't arouse any response from him, but disciples would come and with love would contact his spirit, as it were, because with love they said, how are you? And in that coma he would say, Bodhacha, very well, very well. He had that state that transcended anything physical. Now, how can you get that state of relaxation? One thing will help you is to just very simply do this. Sit up, inhale, tense the whole body, exhale and relax. Do that several times. You'll equalize the flow of energy all over your body. And then when you relax it by exhaling, you will find that even parts that were tense without your realizing it, become relaxed. Do that a few times and then with that relaxation, go into deep meditation. See if it doesn't change your life.